Welcome to What's in Your Cup, a podcast conversation on daily life using out-of-the-box thinking. There are two rules. Stay positive and look for ways to fill your cup because you can't pour anything out of an empty cup. I'm Marcus. Let's find out what's in your cup. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we're sitting down with Mason, and he uh, has been on multiple podcasts. But Mason, welcome to the podcast, and by the way, happy belated birthday. Your birthday was last week. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I was on the last one. It's been a while since uh, we've put one out, but I'm, you know how it is. I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep my dad motivated to keep these going. Love talking to him, having conversations. So just kind of happy to be back on it. I, I definitely appreciate that. When we did talk last, we were talking a little bit about you and some of the things that were going on in your life, obviously, and. One of those things people may remember is you were talking about moving back home right around this time in August. Yeah. Why don't you give the community a little update of where Mason's at? Yeah, yeah, no. So I don't remember specifically where, what I was saying the last time I was on the podcast, but yeah, I was planning to come back to Tacoma in comparison to Bellingham, where I'm currently at now. A lot has gone on in the past couple months, a lot more than probably I expected to happen. I don't know about you, but a lot more than I thought was going to happen. Uh, have a lot of good connections up in Bellingham, feeling really good up there. Um, have a lot of cool stuff going on. So it's super exciting. So you're not moving home? Nope. As much as to your dismay, right? Um, I'm going to be staying up in Bellingham for at least another year. I am working at Best Buy still, which is nice. I've gotten a handful of growth opportunities there, which have been really awesome. Very fortunate for that, for sure. Hard work, you know, that is also part of it. It's more than that, but Yeah, yeah. Staying in Bellingham, just now moved into my own place. So just me in there. First time I've ever done that. I was talking to, I was talking the other day about how I am the first of the Burns family kids to move out on their, on their own, right? Independently. Everybody's moved out with everyone with like another, with a partner, significant other, but I am completely on my own up in Bellingham now. You are, you are the youngest of all the siblings and the first to move out completely independent. You got yourself a nice little one bedroom apartment up in Bellingham. I was up last week, helped you move into that place. Very exciting to see. I will say, I was looking forward to you being home, looking forward to having some of that bonding time. But I also think that this is a great opportunity for you. This is the right decision. Some of the growth that you're going to see over this next year, I'm super excited for. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it went into your decisions to stay? Yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind. Um, virtually all in July, it felt like I had a lot of stuff um, I felt like I was pretty complacent in the fact that I was going to be coming back to Tacoma. I kind of just felt resigned to it. Um, I was ready to do it because the whole reason is I wanted to come back to focus on school primarily so I could uh, finally finish that out, get a degree and do what I kind of want to be doing. But I think during the month of July, I kind of had a shift of perspective in terms of how I'm going to grow as a person. And school isn't the only way to do that. Right. So I've been shifting a lot in terms of that and which has been really nice. And then uh, a lot of people that up in Bellingham, I really care about. I know I've talked this before on the podcast about surrounding yourself with people that really build you up, really make you feel better, really motivate you. Right. And I really think I have a group like that up in Bellingham right now. And I didn't want to I didn't want to leave them behind. I, I obviously Tacoma was only a couple hours away, but I think that definitely the connections I made up in Bellingham are really big. Uh, a really big factor for me when deciding what I wanted to do, as well as, like I was talking about before, the growth opportunities within Best Buy that I've been able to see and been able to move forward with in the past couple of months. I have, I feel like, again, I feel like it's been a whirlwind of stuff for me coming into this like next couple months. And then I'm all about that personal growth this next year. Like you were saying, like I think that it's going to be really positive for me to still be out on my own, still be working full time, still be kind of growing as a person, both in my both in my relationships, but as well as in kind of what I've done. I've never really, uh, and this kind of goes into what I'm doing at Best Buy, is that I've I'm being moved into more of like a ship supervisor leadership position, right? So um, that's kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone a little bit. I've always felt like I could be a leader, right? But I've never for lack of a better way to describe it, I've never sticked around at one spot long enough to really move myself into that position. So uh, it's very interesting. I'm very excited to see how I'm going to handle something like that in comparison to just like regular part-time work, right? And you're still going to go to school? Still going to go to school. Yep. Still looking to do, I feel like I mentioned this last time, but still looking to do that online program to uh, become a secondary teacher for high school. Still looking to finish that out. And that's all going to be online as well. So like 
where I'm at isn't a huge determiner, right, in terms of kind of the functionality and how it's going to work. But definitely will have a lot more on my plate in this coming year than I was expecting to have in the past. Right. Now, I want to go back to the Best Buy thing for a minute, because in our last conversations, one of the things that you shared was that it wasn't really your forever. And I know that it's still not your forever, but some of the the opportunities that have presented themselves within Best Buy makes it a little bit more long-term than I think you were planning. What what changed there? What flipped that mindset? I'm sure the opportunity of being able to to step into new positions has some of it, but there I feel like there's more than just that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. De- definitely, it, it did feel really fast, but I felt like the reason it was so fast is because the management that was there really realized that I was reaching for these opportunities and I wanted to be a reliable person in the store, whether it's just as a full-time salesperson, whether it's in that ship supervisor role, which I'm being trained in, literally. It's not going to sound that early to you, but I woke up this morning before seven o'clock to go open the store. And then I got off at 10 because I I did it. And like, that's something that I've never counted tills like that before. I've never been in a leadership position like that. But I definitely feel like that the management, I did have this conversation with my managers, that they realized that I was really reaching for these new opportunities as soon as I made the decision that I wanted to stay in in Bellingham. Um, As soon as I made that decision, I was constantly being like, what can I do for you? Like, what can I do better as an employee? Like, what'll make me it's almost like a, a a switch flipped for me in terms of my perspective when going into work to Best Buy. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think that some of the commitment probably helps as well. You've signed a one-year lease, mm-hmm. so you know that you're committed to Bellingham for at minimum one year. Are there options where you could get out of that shirt? But in your mindset, you're committed to one year. And so I, I would gather that that plays into Something that we've talked about a lot in the past, both in, in podcasts with you, but in personal conversations, is that how do you put your best foot forward in whatever you're doing? Even if you're a burger flipper or you're making pizzas, mm-hmm. be the best pizza maker there is out there um, and put your best foot forward. And I think that, uh, or I would ask you, knowing that you've now got this kind of direction and commitment over the next year, has that played into your mind of, all right, how do I get the most and best out of this? Oh, 100%. Because now, like you're saying, now that I am for lack of a better word, locked in to paying this rent, being in Bellingham, having to be responsible for a handful of stuff for the next year. It definitely makes me want to improve myself. Kind of like I was saying, a lot of it this past year was a lot about having fun and kind of chilling until I wanted to go back to school. But now that I've made a decision to stay in Bellingham, I need to shift my mindset and my gear set from being just super chill, clocking into work, leaving work, like just doing what I can and then going through the paces. Exactly. Switch it from going through the paces to more of what can I do to help the store run more efficiently? What can I do to be that next person that is in the manager line? Like what can I do to help the rest of my team grow and be better employees? Like I'm striving to do at the same time, right? Because a lot of it is all about, at least from my perspective, right? Going into the shift position, I'm friends with a lot of people at Best Buy. They worked with me before I had this mind shift change. So they knew that at least before Sometimes I'd be at work and I'd be like in the home theater section in the corner, just like hiding and being like, I'm not going to work with a customer for the next 20 minutes. But now that I've had this shift, they see me and they're like, oh, wow, he's like putting his best foot forward. I want to be better as well. Like I want to. You're setting the example. Exactly. Right. It's uh, it's all about setting the example for everyone around you, especially when it's in like a friendship manner. It's a lot easier for me to be for them to see me being productive and being a better employee for the store. And it's so much easier for them seeing me as someone who's like trying to improve and be better. And it's making and this isn't just me. It's a lot of people in the store and it's making the whole environment of the store kind of grow at the same time, which is really, really cool to see, in my opinion. I would be curious, kind of two phase. One's a comment that it is. I do believe it's the hardest to be promoted internally because as you had said and shared, when you weren't in the best of mindset of long-term opportunities with Best Buy, your conversations, your attitude, your demeanor was probably different. And now that you are in for a little more commitment and growth and opportunity and in a more of a supervisory role, what happens then is those people that you talked to before might look at you and say, Mason, you used to do this too. Like you mm-hmm. didn't used to care. Um, and so the best example I could give is like, now they have to find new places to hide <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. you know where they hide. <laughs> yeah. So they have to now find new places. But I think at the same time, the way you hold yourself, the conversations that you have, one of two things happens. You either pull them along in that journey with you and make them better, or they'll distance themselves and move on to other things because they're not looking at it as growth. They're in their mindset that you might've been in where they're not looking at that growth 
yeah. opportunity. And so I think it's great if you're seeing them come along, pat yourself on the back for that, because that means you're displaying and leading and being consistent. And they're seeing that and and they're like, all right, Mason says, go this way. We're going this way. We believe in the opportunity. So yeah, I definitely think part of it too, is that when, when working at Best Buy, like I was saying, I'm pretty good friends with a lot of people in the store. Our store is really like, like we're all really good friends. We all go to bowling Tuesdays every Tuesday, a lot of the time with a lot of us. And I think part of it helps that I was literally in that mindset. And so I know what that feels like, right? And so when I'm moving into more of a manager's like perspective, I know exactly what these guys are thinking when they're in the store. I know like where their effort level's at. I know when they're kind of feeling like crushed, like just exhausted in the store. So it's a lot easier for me to see that and be like, hey, like, what can I do for you? Like, I know where you're at. Like, the, the funny thing is when I was talking to my manager who promoted me, Marco, super cool guy, he, I was talking to him the other day when he was training me to do a close and he goes, I'm going to be honest, I really didn't want you to go full time two months ago because two months ago I was talking about the full time position when I was still kind of throwing stuff around. Uh, and he was like, I'm going to be honest, I really didn't think that you would be able to do what we wanted you to do in this full time shift supervisor position. And then he said, he was like, it was like a, a, a switch flipped in you to where you realize that if you feel motivated going into the day and feel productive going into the day and kind of do what you more than what you need to, right? It's something that he very distinctly noticed as a shift in my own perspective and emotion while in the works, while in the workplace. Before you were given the opportunity. Before I was given the opportunity. Okay. He said originally that he didn't want to hire me for the full-time position, but he said that there was a change in my behavior and work that really showed to him that I was ready to kind of be in this next role if it was something that I wanted to do. Can you look back and see that change too? I can kind of see the timeline for sure. But I think it's less so, less noticing the change, but more me kind of just realizing after it happened, Right, I would say. Because I'm, I'm curious if where it falls in the timeline mm-hmm. of, had you mentally made the decision that you thought you might want to stay? So you began to behave a little differently? Because I know you had called me and had asked me for some advice on kind of what you were thinking about doing, but you hadn't really locked in on staying or coming home still. You knew there were benefits to coming home. You knew there were some desires to stay, but you hadn't really locked in on it. And I'd be curious, and it might be hard to pinpoint it, but was the shift when you mentally made that decision, I want to make this work. I want to stay here. I want to be close to the friends and the relationships that I have built and the people that I've come close to. And therefore, it's going to have to take a shift physically in how I behave and what I do not just mentally in my mind. And I wonder if that's when the transition started. I would probably, yeah, I would probably say it's around that same time in terms of me, as soon as I started tossing around the idea, I realized that if I was going to stay in Bellingham, I had to make a shift in the workplace in order to make it work. And I think it was subconscious at first in terms of when I was presenting myself in work, how I was interacting with my managers, my coworkers. I think it was just kind of subconscious in the beginning. Right. But as soon as I realized I can make this work, this is something like if I really want to stay here, I can. And then I was like, okay, all it takes is a little bit of hard work in the position I'm currently in, proving to not only my managers, but to myself that this is a place that I can thrive in as an individual. Right. And also continue to grow in the position at Best Buy. Because that was my thought originally, right? Is that I was kind of stunted in terms of my growth at Best Buy because I didn't want to move forward and I didn't want to do that. But as soon But that was on you. Exactly. Exactly. And it was completely on my own mental that made that decision. Which is fine. First off, like, like if it's like, which was when I was planning to leave, I didn't need to, I didn't need to have that extra effort to make something like that happen. But as soon as that mental block was removed in my mind, right, I was able to fully, and I won't say I do anything outside of work when I'm on the clock or when I'm off the clock, I don't think about work. When I'm on the clock, I'm putting a hundred percent of my effort into what I'm doing in the store, right? I think that's really, but you're committed to it. And that's the thing. And that's, and that's something that my manager, Marco, said to me. He goes, I can tell that when you're here, you are here 100%. You are here to make the store run. You're not going to complain when it gets busy. You're going to put your best foot forward with every customer you interact with. And that just wasn't you two months ago. Like, that's right. not what you were doing two months ago. I, I would ask, and I've had this conversation recently with Riley, your sister, who's in Florida. You have to ask yourself, if you want this to work, what are you willing to sacrifice to make it work? And it almost sounds like you, knowing you wanted Bellingham to work, not Best Buy, but Bellingham in general to work, you had to sacrifice a bad attitude or a less committed attitude about your job because you knew that was a key component to making Bellingham work. Yeah. And I think that was some of the conversation you and I had was, it really comes down to math. I'm learning in my my years of experience, 99% of the things in life for some reason seem to come down to math. 
you want to stay in Bellingham, here's what it's going to cost to stay. Now you know the cost. How many hours does that mean you need to work? What kind of income do you need to have so you can make that work and still have some life outside of just work? And I think you, you got that, that clicked for you. If I want to make this work, this is what it's going to take financially. This is going to take mentally in my attitude and you applied yourself forward. Uh, so I would ask early on, you, there was some frustration about the leadership within the, the store. Some of it might have been where your mental mind was, and some of it might have been true frustrations with, it, with some of the, the decisions and directions. But how much did leadership change at the store level, if you will, at your store? Marco, you, you mentioned, how much did leadership impact your change in mindset and direction as well? Because I feel like you have to want to work for those people for it to work as well. Mm-hmm. Marco specifically is someone that who he motivates me like crazy. He's a very he's a very like he's a very blunt person to be fair. So he kind of when you mess up, he'll he'll tell you. He'll be like, "Yo, what are you doing? Like, come on." So like he is someone that definitely motivates me to be better in the store for sure. And something that he does a lot of the time that isn't kind of talked about a lot, I think, in leaders is that he really gauges the rest of the store before he makes a major decision. He gets he tries to get as many people's input as possible because. I won't go too deep into it. We had a really big manager shake up a couple months ago, and he was kind of the one that, for, for lack of a better phrase, he came out on top. He was the one that was kind of put in charge of a lot of the runnings of the store itself. And when he was looking to hire new managers, he asked everybody in the store, who do you think is the best person for the position that we've interviewed? And like he asked me, he asked a couple other part-timers, he asked all the full-timers, he got everyone's opinion on it because he knows that the decision that he's about to make impacts the whole store. It impacts the uh, emotional side of the store in terms of who our leaders are and who we trust in that's going to be in the store running everything. It impacts the day-to-day sales and impacts the learning and the training of the new people that come in. And like, it's a huge decision. And he, he asked everybody. And I think part of it for me as well is that when this manager shakeup happened, we had a big store meeting kind of talking about a lot of stuff. And I said, and I kind of thought to myself, I was like, there's a void I can fill here in the, in the management position. I like, I kind of saw a position for myself. And I think that's really where my gear change started to happen was when after that meeting, I was like, I was like, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room in the store to grow right now. And I could see a world where I can become someone in the store that is in a really good position to kind of make stuff happen and make things better. Would you say you saw an opportunity where you could help yeah, that's really what it is, right? Because it's not like I'm not I'm not a power monger, right? I don't want I don't need the power. I'm not a big. I don't need I don't need. It's not control. a popularity contest. Exactly. It's not a power exactly. struggle. And then I mean, I you know me obviously. I'm not a I'm not a huge like social in terms of like social standing guy. I'm not a big click guy. I try to make sure at least at work everybody is at least feels welcomed in the store, right? And I think that as soon as I start, we started hiring new people in the store, I, I took the, a lot of the initiative to help train them at the very like beginning stuff, really make sure they felt welcome to the store, introduce them to everybody when I was training. That's kind of the void. I was like, I could be this person for the store right now. I can make myself this positive figure in the store that people know they can come to me for help. And people know that I am a trusting person that's not only now in the leadership position, but before that, just a coworker. So you just said something that I think a lot of dysfunctional teams lack. And I think the key that they're lacking is the trust. And you just said, I felt like I could be someone they could trust. And I think it's awesome. I think it's very admirable that you're recognizing that trust is critical because without trust, everybody starts to second guess and they don't believe. But that trust doesn't just come from, oh, I trust him. You also have to display that they can trust you and follow through and do the things that are both the balance that's best for the company and the store, but at the same time that are best for the environment. Yeah, Because happy employees are going to deliver a better uh, result than unhappy employees. But without that trust, and I think that's very key to something you recognized is, let me be a trustful source, which means let me also behave the way I want them to behave. Let them see what I'm doing and know that I am asking you to do this because I also do this, or I am also willing to do this. Yeah. Um, And I think that goes a long way. So hats off to you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. And it doesn't even feel like it was something that was a huge change in how I worked at that point. It just felt like, again, I, w- I felt like I was really good friends, very sociable with a lot of people in the store. I, li- I like to talk to people, but so I kind of knew everybody in the store. And so when this manager shakeup happened, trust was gone in the store. A lot of people like lost trust. A lot of people were like, I want to try to find something else. But as kind of the weeks went on, we as coworkers, before I got moved into this bigger position, we've kind of like rallied together in this group. And we were like, 
everybody here is still cool. We can make this happen. As long as it doesn't get too bad, we can make this happen. And I think that that is really what made me realize the, I don't want to say it like this because it makes it seem like I'm like feeling like I have like a power vacuum or anything like that. Right. But it's like, I think that moment of all of the coworkers before I was kind of being moved up in this upper position, like we kind of all grouped together and we were like, this can still be fine. And then I, as someone who again, wanted to stay in Bellingham, had that happening around the same time frame. Uh, I really took it forward and was really trying to help push the culture itself of the store into a positive direction in comparison to like to our other managers who are like sales, 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 sales. Right. And like that's kind of like the big thing for me is I wanted to make sure that if I were to move into this position, that I wasn't just going to be another manager hounding people for sales. I wasn't just going to be another person on that list because I have all of this experience with the people in the store already. Like you're saying, trust is really crucial to a powerful leadership team and structure working the way it's supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think even though you may not be heavy in forcing and pushing the sales aspect, you can still lead with results that deliver on the sales side. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, I wouldn't have gotten a a higher full-time position or anything like that without having that side of it still. Like my numbers started looking a lot better. Because again, my day-to-day work, I was putting more effort into it. So my numbers started to improve. And it was kind of something that a lot of people were taking notice of, which was really flattering for me. I was actually really happy when I started to have these conversations with the leaders about moving into a, a bigger position. And so being recognized as someone in the store like that definitely felt good from the leaders to me. And it was something that I've kind of have described to a lot of other people on the floor of this will benefit you in terms of your like overall happiness in the store, say like, because you're not going to get bothered about trainings as much. You're, they know that you're going to be able to lock it down whenever it's busy on the floor. Again, this is going to sound kind of bad, but you don't want to be seen as a weak link in the store because then you are getting double knotted up with someone else, right? Like you're always trying to work past your worst self right at that point. I think that 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 thought process of you don't want to be a link, a weak link in the store, I think that applies to anything. You don't want to be a weak link on a sports team or on any team for that matter. And sometimes those weak links are the ones that pull everybody else down. So you want the rising tide to lift all boats, if you will. And when people are in the mindset of, okay, if I can get these things under control and focus on these things, works a little bit easier. It's a little bit less frustrating. Now, there's still going to be times when people get frustrated, but channeling those opportunities to find even taking somebody who's struggling and help lift them up. Yeah, exactly. Can go a long way. And, and now that we're talking about it more, I'm kind of getting more clear on like that whole timeline that we've been talking about, right? And that's kind of when the shift happened for me is because before the before like the big shakeup, before I really made that decision, they would get they would hound on you for being having bad numbers, but they wouldn't try to help you improve. Whereas after this change up, a lot of the focus shifted to helping people improve in the store. It wasn't just why your numbers bad, make them better. It was this is what you can do to make them better. I see you're struggling. Use these tools to help improve yourself in the store. Right. It became a shift of instead of just saying, what the heck are you doing? Like, I need you to be better in the store. It's I see you're struggling with your numbers right now. You're my coaching focus focus for today. This is how we're going to try to make it better for not only you, but for the rest of the people, for the customers that are coming in. Do you think that shift helped people feel noticed? And what I mean by that is it's one thing to say your numbers are horrible, be better. But when I say your numbers aren't where they need to be, and here's some areas you can focus on, I feel like it's you're saying the same thing. It's you need to improve your numbers, but one is an approach of I've watched, I've understood where you're struggling and let me help you. Where the other is you're not doing a good job. I don't know how to help you. Go figure it out on your own. Yeah. And you can feel lost and on an island. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that shift probably makes people feel like, okay, wow, like I can that's achievable now. And now I've got some direction of what I'm trying to what I need to do to to improve. And then when they see the results, it also helps. Exactly. The interesting part about that as well, right? When but in terms of helping them get noticed or feel noticed is there's there's two types of people in general, right? And then there's like two organizations of people. There's this is super general, right? But it's gonna there's there's people that are leaders and there's people that are followers. I have been a follower in the store for the longest amount of time and I was just following the motions, doing what I needed to do. If people asked me to do something, I would do it. I would get it done and I would get it done well and productive, but I was never taking the initiative on myself to do those things when I was the follower aspect. And then now that I have wanted to be a leader and wanted to help navigate other people, I have found myself in the store doing the same thing that you're talking about, just reversed, it feels like, to where I want... I I want the people that I'm working with, right, to feel like that they're noticed, but also make them feel like that they are one of the most important cogs in the store, because every person is one of the most important cogs in the store. Like whether you're on the front end, 
you know, come over the walkie. Hey, can someone grab me something? I always try to respond, even if I'm not a leadership person on the floor. I always try to be like, yeah, like I can get over to you in a couple minutes unless someone can do it faster. Right. Because I, I always want to make sure that if someone is asking for help, that they at the very least don't feel the need to have to ask the question again because nobody heard them. Right. right? And so I, I want them to feel noticed not only by me, but I want when I say it like that, everyone else in the store draws attention to it at that point. When I'm like, unless anyone else can do it first, they're like, oh, I'm free. I can go do it. And then they're taking the initiative at that point to go do it at that point. Right. right. So you're creating that extra sense of initiative in people that don't already have it, which is just, and it's just a sentence. You're just saying a sentence over a walkie, right? right? But you're creating that extra sense of initiative for someone that might've been hiding in the back of the store, right? They might be like, oh, I'm not doing anything. I might as well go help this person up at front end because I know front end sucks, (laughs) right? Like, But it also might be that, well, Mason said he could help and I also want to help. So there's that sense of urging to respond where when nobody responds, even though somebody may say, I'll get there in a few minutes, everybody else is like, well, I want to be the one to offer. Mm -hmm. I definitely, there's certain, this is just complete tangent, but I'm going to tell the story anyways. There's certain parts in the store that people hate working at. They hate it. They try to avoid it at all costs. So when you hear, can I get a code blue over to car electronics? People hate it. And so, right, everybody sits there and like stares at each other, even if it's really slow, like stares at each other for like 30 seconds or like, are you, are you going to go do that? Or, or do you want me to go do it? But like, you know more about Carfi, so like you could get over there, right? So like, it's like, it becomes like when it's really slow, those are like conversations that we have. But again, it's another thing of when you have that conversation with someone that's right next to you, you can just be like, oh, do you want to go do it? And they'd be like, yeah, I guess so. I'm not doing anything else. And then they have that initiative to go work in a zone that they haven't been in or haven't been as comfortable in in the past. So have, have you noticed the play on words. And the example I'll give is if that request comes in, can you help in this area? And the immediate, the first person to speak up says, well, I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? Probably has that mindset of like everybody else going, well, I don't want to do <laughs> yeah. it either. But if you say, I can help over there, but you also know a lot about that stuff. Do you want to help? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, the mindset isn't started with, I don't want to. It's which one of us is going to. Yeah. And that's how I try to always start that conversation, like just in general, right? Because if I'm walking around the store with a coworker and we're both free, I don't want to be like, do you want to go get that? I'm like, I was like, I can go get it if you want, or you can go get it if you like are bored or <laughs> if you like want to go get on the floor again. That's interesting because now that you said that, definitely the way I say it is always the, the second way, right? It's always, I can go do it, but if, like, but if you're free, you can go do it too. Right. That mindset of saying it is so close to the first one, right? But it's not, it feels so different to hear. It does. And I, I think, and I know you've heard this before, but I, I want to share it because I know I've shared it on here before as well, is that your mind is a crazy machine in the way it processes things. And you'll remember this, when you would go to school in the mornings, I would say, have a great day, which is what I always said, have a great day. But I could have also said, hope you have a good day today. Most people hear it as well wishes, but your mind hears, have a great day as there's no other option but to have a great day. When I say, have, hope you have a good day, your mind hears, you mean I might not? And mentally, it processes it differently. That same thing of, well, I don't want to do that. And then that response from everybody else is, well, I don't want to either. Mm -hmm. But when you say, well, I can do that unless you want to do it, it's like you've set the conversation in motion of a positive outcome versus a reason not to. The mind just works that way. Mm -hmm. Another example I'll give you is how many times have you had a conversation with somebody and every time it's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And you stop and you go, but you do know. And then you dig a little deeper and you're like, oh yeah, I do know that. That's this. Mm Mm-hmm. But our mind gets so routine in, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like that, I don't feel that way, I don't, I'm not comfortable, instead of stopping for a second and going, actually, it's not as bad as I thought it was, I'll do that. Yeah, when I, when I think about that like specific thought process, right, of you just being stuck in your way for so long, when I was younger, Riley really liked ranch, she loved ranch like crazy, and I was just like, I don't like ranch, but I don't think I ever really tasted it, and so there was a time, probably like, like my senior year of high school, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to try some ranch. Ranch could be good. Riley loves it. Like maybe I'll like ranch. And I try it and I'm like, what have I been doing? Why have I not been eating ranch this whole time? And it was just this preconceived notion in my mind of why would I ever eat ranch when I haven't eaten it in the past? So I probably just don't like it. I would tell right. people I don't like it. And like, that's, that's such a similar, it's just in terms of like being stuck in that mindset, right? Right. And it's being willing to try something. Exactly. Is really what it boils down to. I don't think you're aware of this, but some of what you're describing in a, in a leadership management role is called servant leadership. 
And that is an environment. When you think about an organization and the, the org chart, positions get narrower as they go to the top and everybody's typically focusing up. How do I impress my manager? How do I impress the mm-hmm. CEO and what have you? And everybody's focused up. And in servant leadership, you flip the pyramid upside down. So everybody's still looking up, but they're looking up at who's closest to the client. So in this instance, how do I help the people on the sales floor and remove their roadblocks and put them in a great mindset to take better care of my clients, better care of my customers that come into the store? And that's really what that is, is that servant leadership is to where your job and your role now is to remove the obstacles and the hurdles so those people can be successful. Because what some of the highest potential I have seen in leaders where they fail is they think if I don't get credit for it, I don't look good. Mm -hmm. And they fail to realize that if my team does a great job and knocks it out of the park, that reflects positively on me. And that makes me look good to my managers because my team is excelling. And who's leading that team? Me. And that's where Mm -hmm. I get my credit from. So it's called servant leadership. Okay. Yeah, and I think, and I have a few books if you'd like to read them. <laughs> Honestly, I, I might take you up on that for sure. But I think that's so interesting too, because at least thinking about like the servant leadership thing, it's something that I feel like I would do regardless as if I was in a different position. Because I don't know, like I was saying before, I really cherish the connections that I've made up in Bellingham, and a lot of them recently within the past year have been through to have been through work, have been through Best Buy. And so I love seeing those guys succeed that I work with. I love like hearing my, my, my friend Dave, I love hearing him be like being hyped about something that he just sold and how he just got a couple memberships. Like I'd love hearing that from him. Or like when it's busy, I like seeing him run across the store because I know he's like, and he's, he's got a purpose and he's hustling to go do something, right? right? I don't know. I guess just, I like seeing the other people succeed around me, but that doesn't mean I don't want to succeed. So I'm also excited for the leadership to have noticed my presence in the store as well. Right. As an improvement overall. So I think that like, I, I think that you're right, that at least my mindset starts from I was a regular employee, part-timer, hidden the hiding spots like everyone else, right? messed around like everyone else. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. Yeah. And it's um, not that you, you want this connection, but I learned servant leadership from Best Buy. Mm-hmm. So that is where I was, was introduced to servant leadership within Best Buy mm-hmm. and really understanding. And I've taken that with me forever is like, if the team's doing well, even in my job today, I don't need direct credit for anything that our company does. I want the team to get recognized for those behaviors and those achievements because at the end of the day, that reflects on my ability to lead the team. Yeah. And I feel like as well, it's one of those things that once you get that kind of experience of being one of the lower links on a totem pole in a job, especially in like a retail, very busy space, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's retail, whether it's coffee, like our, like my sisters have worked on a lot. And once you kind of feel what it is to be the person closest to the bottom, you really appreciate the people that use that leadership style, right? Yeah. Because kind of like we've been talking about a lot, you feel more seen as an employee. Every time you make something positive happen, you feel better about that positive experience because you know that what you just did was something that one will be seen and recognized, one will be uh, something you can replicate and do again in the future. And hopefully, I know this is something that I do. I love, I love customer service. Customers themselves, I don't love, but I love customer service. I think it's an interesting perspective to be able to just someone walks in and you, you help them find what they're looking for and they leave with a laugh and a smile because like you made it happen, right? You, they were, it was, you made it super easy. You gave them a good deal and then they're leaving more happy than they walked in, right? And I think that's something that I really try to do in all of my interactions with customers. I think that I, I, I hear it a lot. I get a lot of compliments on my customer service voice. You can't see my air quotes, but my, my customer service voice because the way I carry myself with customers is like, I want them to be my friend. Like I'm trying to right. talk to them in a certain way to where they feel comfortable talking to me, not necessarily as a friend, but as someone that they can like crack a joke and like, it'll be okay. It's not like a strict environment, right? So, And I think some of the most successful salespeople that I've, I've interacted with or some of the most successful managers understand how to adjust their conversation to match the person they're conversing mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean if somebody is screaming at you, you scream back. But if somebody, if you can read that somebody doesn't quite understand, you can make it a little bit more elementary so mm-hmm. they do. Or if somebody's a little frustrated, you can go off topic for a second to let them know that I'm going to do everything I can to help you. So let's, let's talk through this and work through this. And I think that that is 
again, something I would I know is coined as world class service. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will ask them, what is world class service? Like what like just providing great service. And it's not just providing great service. World class service happens when that client leaves, no longer needs your service, still talks about it. Mm-hmm. That's world class service. And I think when you're having these conversations, not just with your clients or, or the customers that come into the store. But when you have these conversations with your team and they realize you you care, they realize that you hear what they're saying. And what, when you ask them something, it's not just, how's your day going? But it's because you really genuinely care about how their day is going. Or if they share that something's going on in their family and the next day you ask about, hey, how's such and such going? Are they feeling better? Or whatever the case might be in that scenario. That's a clear and true, in my opinion, definition of a strong, great leader. Because you're not just filling the air with your voice, but you're listening to hear what the response is, not so you can respond back. Yeah. So it sounds like those are great things. Yeah, yeah. Would, would you contribute some of that to your leadership within Best Buy? And or do you see some of those same traits as we talk through them with some of your leadership? Yeah, I think I think for sure. Because I kind of like I was talking about with the uh, manager like swapping that we had recently, uh, Marco was the one who ended up. And he is very much someone who has risen through the ranks on his own, has worked in a lot of different positions. He's kind of at the, at one of the highest spots that he's been. And you can tell that he deserves it. You can tell that he has worked super hard to get where he's at. You can tell that he cares about the people that are underneath him. You can tell that he wants that. If someone wants to thrive and succeed in the store, he will do as much as he can to help them. But if they don't put that extra effort in, that's when he kind of doesn't have that extra step for them to kind of help get that motivation, right? Because he knows he can't help any, everyone in the store. He's one person. People have to meet you. Exactly. You can't carry them. They have to meet you along the way. Exactly. And that's something that I think that he, he does very well is when someone within the store is motivated to succeed, he is right there with them and helping them be that, helping them get to that next step that they want to be at. And it's one of those things like we keep coming back to of you're, you feel seen. Right. If you want to be better and improve as an employee and your manager or your boss kind of looks down at you and is like, hey, like you're doing better. I want to give you this extra bit of whatever it is to help motivate you to continue to strive to improve. Like that is his like management style that he likes to be that person for them. He likes to be there. I would be interested to ask you, actually, you've talked about it already, right? How you have kind of you started at Best Buy, you kind of worked your way up to the ranks there and you've taken a lot of leadership stuff from there. If you started out in the position you're in now, without having regular retail part-time experience, how different do you think your leadership style would have been in comparison to that like servant leadership style? If I was in the position I hold today? So, something similar to where you're a leader of a team, right. you have a team underneath you, you're kind of managing everything there, but you didn't have the experience of being the person that's lower on the totem pole in the team. Right. Like you do, like you do have. I, I do think that there is a critical step in anyone's success is going through the steps. And if I had a whiteboard, I would, I would, <laughs> I would draw this image. So I'm going to try to verbally explain this image. Everybody at some time or another have seen the steps to success, right? There's a step and a step and a step and a step and a step. From wherever you're starting to wherever you're trying to go, it's, it's, you're climbing that, that stairwell, you're climbing that, that ladder, if you will. And I would say that some of the people that I have interacted with that have not seen success as a leader in roles is because they skip steps. Mm-hmm. They didn't experience what it was like to be the guy at, at the salesperson working directly with the client. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand what it was like to in audio video world, be out in 110 degree weather, pulling wire through a construction site. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand that stuff because they stepped over some of that stuff. Maybe they knew somebody, maybe they had a college degree, maybe they lucked into an opportunity. And I do think the majority of my success is because I've spent time at each each rung, at each level Mm -hmm. and understood that. And the example I will give you is when I worked for Magnolia, I remember talking to our installers, our technicians that go out into the field. And I remember standing in front of the room and saying something to the tone of, so imagine you're standing in in an attic, you're on the trusses, and I kind of stood like I was standing on the trusses, bent over, it's 150 degrees in the, Mm -hmm. and I was given this example and went through this scenario. And I remember somebody coming up to me and he said, you've done that before. And I said, yeah, I've been the guy in the attic pulling the cable. I've been the guy underneath the house. I've been the salesperson on the floor trying to close the sale, trying to get the extended warranty, trying to sell the installation service, whatever the case might be. 
I was the guy asking, do you want fries with that? Yeah, exactly. And because of that, I could relate. Mm-hmm. I could understand what worked. I could understand what motivated me. And I think that's why I'm where I'm at today. Yeah. Because I have those relatable skills. If I didn't have that, I don't think I'd have Mm -hmm. pretty confident. I may eventually get there, but I don't think I would have seen the success in some of the leadership roles that I have today if it wasn't for the times I spent at a- uh, In that lower position. In those other positions. Mm -hmm. I don't want to call them lower positions yeah, because they're critical positions no matter what you do. The janitor is just as critical as the guy making the million dollar sales. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think mm-hmm. that is where, why I'm where I'm at is because I've spent time on each one of those steps. And when you ask yourself, what's the riskiest way to navigate the stairs? Mm-hmm. And that's skipping steps, Yep. right? Yep. You're more likely to fall. You're more likely to trip. What's the most successful way of navigating the stairs? One at a time. Put a foot on each step. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would tell you is that I have spent time with a foot on each step, understanding, relating, blood, sweat, and tears, if you yeah. will. And because of that, I can have a general conversation with the salesperson on the floor Mm -hmm. the same way I can have a conversation with the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. So long-winded answer. (laughs) Hey, we're we're on a podcast. They're all long-winded. But but that is is kind of my answer to that is you got to spend some time on each step. Yeah. So, but that hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, for sure. That that's because I've heard that story before in the past, for sure. Whenever I hear about your starting from this, from like the, the, I don't want to, I don't want to call them lower, lower positions anymore because, like you said, any position is critical to the the functioning of whatever company, whatever store, whatever business you're in, right? Um, when you're in those kind of lower on the totem pole positions, is how I'll call Entry them, level right? Positions, yeah, yeah, right. Um, whenever I hear that story, it is definitely something that I've worked a lot of different places over the past four or five years. I've probably worked almost in the double digits in terms of places. And that's something that I feel like I've always carried with me is that story that you tell about your rise as a, not only as in terms of like financially and socioeconomic, but your your story as how you've gained your leadership skills and how you've gained the trust of the people around you. It, again, circles all the way back to what we were talking about. You've created that trust around, right? It's right. a whole whole sphere of things that you've done to kind of become the leader that you are in the position that right. you are. And it's something that definitely inspires me in just moving forward in general is just taking stuff like that and taking my own experiences and being able to use them in the future for that kind of next step, whether it's being a leader at Best Buy, whether it's doing something in the classroom, you're always a leader. You're always a leader and you're always a follower, right? It just depends on where you're at at the time and kind of how you're presenting yourself at the time. I would say the greatest leaders know when to follow, Mm -hmm. for sure. And I know that I have followed when I needed to follow. But I also know that I never am going to ask somebody to do something I wouldn't do myself mm-hmm. and at any level. Mm-hmm. Hey, the trash needs to get taken out. You know what? I'm going to ask you to take the trash out because you've seen me take the trash out before. <laughs> yeah. And right now I need some help. Yeah, that, that goes back to like what you were saying about how um, the way you ask it, right? It's about, I've done this before. Like, I've done it all the time. Like, I know what it takes to take the trash out. Like, that's the example we're using, right? But like, that can apply to anything talking about how that you you've done it and so when you tell someone else to do it you're like gonna take you three minutes man like just go do it real quick jump back over here we'll make something else happen right after right and and i think that that is the key thing is that people know when i ask Mm -hmm. it i'm not asking because it's below me to do it i'm asking because i need the assistance i'm getting you're not delegating because you don't want to do it you're delegating because you're a leader that has a plethora of stuff to do right and and that is a fine line and Mm -hmm. as in any leadership role you're flying at a different altitude than other people because you have to look at the landscaping in total, not just that instance. If we make this decision today, how does this impact the business? Not how does this impact Mason? Mm-hmm. How does this impact the business? Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of goes back to that, my mindset process on, and again, we need a whiteboard to show this. <laughs> I work very strongly off of what I call a decision triangle. And it's basically a triangle. And I write something at the point of each one. When I used to work for Magnolia, one of the things that I would do is I would say, okay, we have the shareholders, we have the clients, the customers, and we have the employees. And I would ask myself, does this positive or neutrally impact every point of that triangle? If it negatively impacted something, I went back to the drawing board and I would ask myself, okay, what do I need to adjust so at least it's neutral and not negative? Mm -hmm. For the shareholder, I don't want the company to lose money. For the client, if it's going to make the experience worse or the uh, the experience 
uh, unappealing to our clients. Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. And if it's going to make it horrible and frustrating and unmanageable for our staff, why, why would I make that change? Yeah. And so I ask myself as a leader, what should I do so that it's at least neutral on each one of those points, if not positive? Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it sounds like you know, leadership has really been a key component into some of the decisions you've made recently, obviously, to stay with Best Buy, but to stay in Bellingham as well, some of those leadership skills internally of how you've managed your people. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like it's, um, we've used this before, so I'm going to ask this, <laughs> kind of feels like you got your oar back and you're navigating yeah. that, that uh, terrain again. I would definitely say so because kind of like I was alluding or saying in the beginning of the podcast is that I almost felt resigned to what I would, the decision I made to come back down. And then as soon as I realized, I was like, wait, that was my decision. I can make another one if I want to. I was like, I could do whatever I want to do at this point, as long as it's realistic and it makes sense. Like you right. said, it comes down and it's to not going to hurt anybody. Exactly. As long as it comes, it comes down to math and the math works out, I could make it happen. And I think that was something that really re-motivated me to continue to grow and thrive instead of stay stagnant. And, right. and even, even though I would be growing in terms of going back to school and doing all that stuff, Definitely. Once I made that decision, I realized this is in my hands. Like this right. is like this is something I can do. And like you said, I, it feels like I have the oar back in my hands and able to steer the direction and make sure I'm going down the river the right, right way. Right. So let me give you this then. <laughs> I have something for you. Okay. Because you and I have talked a lot about having your oar. Mm -hmm. So those who can't see this, uh, this is an oar, Mason, because you have your oar. You can navigate and go anywhere. I wrote a little something on there for you. You can read it if you want to. You don't have to. I'm definitely going to I'm going to read it. This is awesome. Uh <laughs> it says when life gets hard or difficult to navigate, always remember you have this oar. Just paddle in the direction you want to go. I'm forever proud of you. And that <laughs> that means a lot to me. I like you said, we've talked about it a lot and I don't know. I definitely feel that as of I feel like every time I come on the podcast, I talk about personal growth and I talk about being better than I was in the past. And I th just hope that I can continue to do that in the future. And definitely, like I've said it multiple times, not only today, but in the past as well, that you are a very large motivation for me as a person, as a leader, integrity, something I hold very close to my heart. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I am, like I said, I'm very proud of you. And We've always used that analogy. It came up, you yep. and I, in a conversation in a previous podcast. So if those who don't know, go back and listen to everyone that Mason's <laughs> in, and you'll understand this progression. Of I'm in a couple, for sure. I, I, I'm super proud of you and in the direction you've gone and the things that you look at. And I know I've often said, you're an old soul in these conversations, talking about leadership and growth and opportunity. The things you've recognized uh, make me very proud. So just keep doing what you're doing, son. And you're going to not just achieve great things, but you're going to continue to impact people's lives. So, all right. That's, that's the, that's the uh, I was waiting on the opportunity to win to bring that up. So you got your oar. Mm -hmm. You can navigate those streams now. As we kind of wrap this up and close this, yeah. close this up, I do want to ask, you know, anything else that you want to talk about? Obviously, you've shared your decision to stay in Bellingham uh, and not come back home. Very respectful in your process of how you decided to do that. Sounds like you've got great relationships within not only work environment, but with the people that you've built relationships there. But anything mm -hmm. else that you want to talk about or share about your direction and what's next and what you get, maybe what's in your near future? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I've talked a lot about it already. Um, a lot of the connections I've made up there, I currently have just started being with someone up there. I have a partner who I'm very happy with. She's very amazing and um, very much looking forward to spending more time with her. Um, as well as me and my, one of my friends, JS, are planning to start a podcast of our own as well. So I know, I know you guys like hearing me, but if you want to hear more of me, um, we're going we're gonna to try to start our own podcast. It's going to be called The Mind Meld. That's the goal right now. So definitely keep an eye out for that. I will come back on, the, on this podcast. Shout out every time when we make it happen. Maybe I can come on your podcast mm, yeah. and be a guest. I'd be down to make that happen. I did get an opportunity to meet your friend and uh, go to, we went to dinner last week for your mm -hmm. birthday, and, which was awesome. And yeah. hopefully I didn't make it, <laughs> made, I made good first impressions, if you will. Yep. No, he definitely asked me right after, did I do good? Did I do good? And I was like, no, you did perfect. <laughs> so uh, future podcasts in your, in mm -hmm. your future, do you guys mm -hmm. have, you know, when you might? Um, we're trying to do it. We're trying to get the first episode out before the end of September. Okay. That's kind of our goal right now. It's going to be very free, though, a little less motivational than kind of what we try to do here. But it's going to be a lot more um, culture talk, a lot more kind of just stuff like that. We'll probably get into a lot of different things. But okay. 
definitely keep an eye out for it. It's going to be called the Mind Meld, so it's kind of what we're looking for. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you as we wrap this up, yeah. 60 seconds, we talked about leadership. What would you say to somebody who's struggling a little bit with decision-making and direction, whether it's career-based or this moving back home? What would you say to somebody yeah. to, uh, to kind of give them something to think about and motivate them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that at least I took away from these last couple of months in the, in the decision-making I've had to make is realize that it's all in your hands. And then I just realized that if you really want to make that decision, that if you go through the right avenues and take the right steps, it's all up to you. Definitely, you will always have help. You will always have other people. You will always have connections that strengthen you. But at the end of the day, as soon as you realize that it is something that you can achieve, as soon as you make that realization in your mind, that's when it becomes realistic for everyone else involved. So that's kind of what I would probably try to leave, at least in terms of the decision-making aspect, because... At the end of the day, then when you're making a decision, you're the only one thinking in your head. So right. it's up to you. And I think once you realize that, it gets a lot easier. That's great advice. Great advice. It is up to you. I always like to say I'm not in competition with anybody but myself. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, I just want to be a little better than I was today. Exactly. And the next day, a little better than that person. And the next day, a little better than that person. And if I keep moving in that direction, things should work out for me. Well, that is awesome, Mason. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the future of the podcast. Obviously, I'm going to be your biggest fan, but also your biggest <laughs> critique, I'm sure. You got your or. Mm-hmm. I would say to everybody that if you don't know what the or is, um, go back and listen to a handful of uh, podcasts with Mason in them, and you'll you'll kind of pick that up. I, I believe we talked about it mostly in Stopping the Cycle of Self-Doubt. Yep, that's a big one. So it uh, might be a good place to listen to it there. But again, I am very proud of you. I'm very excited for what you got going on. And uh, I think you're going to do great things and continue to bring great things in this world. So hats off to you, Mason. Thank you. I appreciate it. Obviously, I love you and uh, I'm very proud of what you're doing. So with that being said, I do always want to remind everybody, you can't pour anything out of an empty cup. So whatever you're doing, make sure you're working to fill your cup up every day with uh, some positive motivational reinforcements, such as what's in your cup, the podcast. That's the one. Have a great day. Mason, take care and uh, we'll be back real soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to What's in Your Cup. Wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, be sure to check out our website at motivational60.com. That's motivational60.com. Maybe you have a future subject or would even like to join an episode as a guest. Pop over to the website and let us know. Thank you again. And remember, you can't pour anything out of an empty cup.